0: Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. All right, everyone. This is an episode from our partners, our friends at Buzzwords. The Buzzwords podcast is full of question dissections just like ours, so you should go check them out and you can learn more about their podcast at buzzwordsmed.com. Hello everybody, my name is Bobby and I'm joined today by Bo. Hey everybody. And today we are going to be talking about some high-yield dermatology for the USMLE Step 1 exam based off of some questions from StatPearls. So if you like what you hear today, go ahead and check them on out. You ready to get into it, Bo? I'm ready. Great. So, a patient comes in from a nursing home and you notice they have a wound on their sacrum that appears open with some granulation tissue. What would you stage this wound as? Stage one. Stage 2, stage 3, or unstageable?
1: Hmm. So nursing home patient, granulation tissue is really kind of the only hint you get in the vignette. It's reassuring that you don't see any bone. It's reassuring that perhaps you don't see any sub-Q fat. So that kind of helps me narrow it down to stage 1 or stage 2. But I know stage 2 can probably have some soft tissue in it as well. So I'm going to go stage 1. So,
0: it is actually stage two. Uh, oh, bummer. Yeah. Stage one is actually just redness of the skin. And so, when, when you hear people say that you can develop a pressure ulcer, like, you know, within a few hours, that's usually what they're referring to. You know, if you're sitting down studying long enough, I'm sure some of us have all gotten pressure ulcers, actually. And then stage two is when the skin is actually is broken and you can have some granulation tissue, but it doesn't erode into any deeper tissues. Stage 3 is when there's subcutaneous fat exposed, and then stage 4 is when you have involvement of underlying tissues like muscle, bone, cartilage, and ligaments, or the fascia. And if there's like an overlying eschar, which is basically just like a scab, then it's considered unstageable, and so you have to remove the scab before you can figure out how deep it goes for staging.
1: All right, great question, Bobby. So the next question, for which of the following conditions would isotretinoin be prescribed? Is it one psoriasis, two herpes simplex, three acne, and four seborrheic dermatitis?
0: I would have to think that the answer is acne,
1: and you'd be right. Do you know what vitamin isotretinoin is a derivative of?
0: I believe it's a vitamin A derivative. Fantastic,
1: and so isotretinoin is kind of one of those big guns for acne, it's typically last line is for very severe acne, and because It's a high dose, essentially, of vitamin A. You want to be very careful, and that's why you have this whole pledge requirement in the United States. It's highly teratogenic, so female of childbearing ages are recommended to use two forms of birth control, which is incredibly important, and that's why the pledge system is in place. And because it's a high dose, essentially, of vitamin A, any ideas of which organ function you should consider to follow closely? I would be worried about the liver. Perfect. Exactly. So this is kind of a nice little biochem tie-in. Because we know vitamin A, I think the classic question is maybe eating something like a, a bear liver or, or some type of animal liver and having the effects of kind of a toxic dose of vitamin A. You want to just think about that in this setting, knowing that isotretinoin can affect your liver as well. So people that are started on isotretinoin or Accutane typically get monthly or every couple months they get their livers checked.
0: Yeah, if you're ever in the Arctic and you are trying to survive and you manage to kill a polar bear, do not eat their liver because it contains a lethal dose of vitamin A.
1: There you go. That's a fun fact. Tie it all in.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I have another question for you. What is the most common cause of first-degree burns? Is it A, sunburn, B, electrical, C, scalding, or D, thermal?
1: Hmm. And this is just kind of regardless of age group, huh? Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to have to go sunburn. Final answer.
0: You are correct. Sunburn is the most common cause of a first-degree burn. Basically, first-degree burns only involve the superficial epidermis, and so that's where you get the redness and and the pain. And, you know, people are exposed to the sun a lot more than they are to those other potential hazards. Second-degree burns are involving your epidermis as well as some of the underlying dermis, and those will be painful and, and blister. Third-degree burns are involving the underlying subcutaneous fat, and they don't hurt anymore because the nerves have also been destroyed. And then fourth-degree burns actually involve the underlying muscle, bone, those types of tissues as well. So you can kind of think of this staging system the same as the previous question for
1: the ulcers. Right. That's a lot of really great points. All right. And then for our final question today, Bobby, we have a kid come in with multiple centrally umbilicated lesions across his face, body, and extremities. What is the most likely cause of these skin lesions is it a cryptococcus b pox virus c human herpes virus 8 and d human herpes virus 5 it is pox virus perfect exactly and so what are these lesions so these
0: are called molluscum contagiosum i believe you kind Perfect. of gave it away with the, the central umbilication. I don't think there's there's really any other skin lesions, especially in children, that, that are really described that way.
1: Yep, exactly. So pox virus, molluscum contagiosum, very common skin disease, especially in children. Children can have it regardless of immune status, and it's something that you really will clear on your own. However, oftentimes parents and families seek treatment because they do at times get irritated and they are worried about what these lesions are. For the board exam, probably a little out of the scope of step one, but more geared towards step two is if you're asked how to treat these, often it's just educate the family that these lesions will go away on their own. That I think is at least the board answer. In practicality, sometimes we do help them by stimulating their immune system with topical treatments. But very nice, very nice answer.
0: Cool. And I think if somebody is immunocompromised, it's the same treatment, right? You just try and treat like their underlying immunocompromised state and then they resolve on their own.
1: Correct. That's a great point, is that if you found these poxvirus lesions on, let's say, an adult, you would be concerned about potentially an underlying immunodeficiency and therefore would want to address that. Very nice. Cool. All right, guys. Well, that is it for today. Hope you guys enjoyed. Again, these questions are from Staffworld, so if you enjoyed them, check it out. Until next time, take care.